This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Otis Barnett and Calvary Church in Inverness, Florida. For more information, please visit InvernessCalvary.com. Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 7. We're continuing in a series called These Three Remain. These Three Remain. And it's based upon the, the 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And it says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, uh, I, I, I want you to understand that these are three kingdom principles that are in operation now and they will span into eternity. In context, 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us about uh, things that will cease after the return of Christ. They're saying, hey, knowledge will, will cease. It says in spiritual gifts, they're going to they're, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna cease. He says, listen, we're, 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 we're going to experience some things that shift and change. However, there are some things that we can learn to operate in now that we will continue to operate in after uh, Christ returns. And they are faith, hope, and love. And in order for us to expand the kingdom until Jesus comes in a righteous way, we must employ kingdom principles by which the kingdom operates. These principles are how the kingdom advances. And today, I have not come here to just share with you a great message. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said this. He says, I have not come to you in wise and persuasive words, but in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What I believe is going to happen in just a few minutes is that every sick person in this room is about to be healed. Every lost person is about to be saved. Every tormented person is about to be set free. Because we're going to start to operate in all that God has available to us who believe. We are about to experience something. I am going to give you a little bit of sermon. That's, uh, that's good. I want you to get a little bit of revelation about what faith can actually bring into your life. But more than that, you need to have an encounter with the risen Savior. And I believe that if you want it, you will get one today. Amen. <laughs> As I was laying in my floor praying for this service yesterday, I get a text from my good friend, Pastor David Lucas, over at Inverness Church of God. I'm laying in the floor just saying, God, I feel like you want to do something powerful in our service. And then all of a sudden, about 845, 847, this text comes in. 
He says, God has me praying for you right now. Number one, that many people would be drawn to come. But number two, the reason why I believe that I'm praying for them to be drawn, he says, because God's about to release Psalm 97 in your midst, where the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. He said, mountains of sin are going are, are gonna to melt. Mountains of sickness are going to melt. Mountains of bondages are going to melt. Things are going to melt. The things that have been influencing you, that have been contrary to God's will in your life, are coming under the devastating effects of the presence of God. So get ready. Luke chapter 7 is a great scene in the scriptures where we find the Son of God marveling at someone's faith. Jesus astounded at the level of someone's faith. We're going to look into this passage because I think the Lord wants to release this great faith in us. It's not just about what happens in us, but it's about what God wants to do and release through us. And if we'll lay hold of this principle, uh, uh, this, it, it, this, this place won't be big enough. And it's not about expanding a church. I don't, I, I, that's, that's not the point. The point is, is that there are many lost people who need Christ. And there are many sick that need to be healed. And there are people that need the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed to them by the Spirit through you. And I believe as we begin to operate in great faith, astounding faith, God is going to allow us to see mountains move. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now he, speaking of Jesus, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, The one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent... Returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Let's just pray one more time. Father, I ask that you would send now the Holy Spirit to give to us revelation. Lord, we want revelation of this. God, we don't want to just listen to another sermon. God, we want, Lord, your words to leap off the page that move us and shift us into action, God. God, I thank you, Lord, for ears to hear and eyes to see. 
Lord, whatever words I'm going to say, I want to say, I want to say the ones that you want me to say. I don't want to say anything, God, that you're not saying. God, I thank you for your word that transforms us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to talk today about faith, and we kind of have a, a, a definition of faith uh, th- that we've been using, and it's called this. It's divine persuasion of God's warranty that guarantees the fulfillment of the revelation he births within, within the receptive believer. This is us being fully persuaded that whatever God said, he will deliver on. Faith is being fully persuaded that God will do what he said he will do. We are convinced that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. It is, it's not only just believing that God exists. That's, that's the first step. But you must also then believe that, that God will move. And that God would allow you to speak to mountains and say, be plucked up and cast into the sea and don't doubt in your heart and you can believe and receive and see mountains move. That God would deliver. That God would allow you to speak to leafy fig trees in your own life that look like they're supposed to have fruit out of season, but it doesn't have fruit. So God just speaks to those areas, allow you to to speak to the areas that look good on the outside but are actually producing nothing and see those things dry up from the root because they're just taking up space that belongs to God. This definition of faith is based on Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now listen, some of us have great, great heroes in, in, in the faith. There are, there are many people that we, we, we honor, but it always, it, it seems like a lot of us have grandma heroes, you know. Grandma was such a, such a, just a patriarch in the family, okay. She's the hero of faith that maybe that you know. I heard a story about a grandma, and this grandma, uh, uh, she was a widow, and her children had all moved out. And so she was on a very limited income. And she just got to the place where she just did not have anything left to eat. And, um, but she was a woman of faith. And the, the, this grandma lived, next, her next door neighbor was an atheist. And he was always chiding her and just saying, why? Look at you. You don't. You, you have so little, but you, you, you know you're you're always praying and you're always going to church. There's not a God. He's always chiding her and wearing on her, and uh, and then that, as she got, you know, she just said, "Well, I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna let him move me." She went out on her front porch, and she said, "God, I don't have any groceries, but I believe." that you could deliver groceries to me. So I have faith, God, that you're going to meet my need. She goes back in, and she's just working throughout the day. She comes out a little bit later on uh, during that day, and sure enough, there's a bag of groceries on her front porch. She just began to dance and celebrate and say, Thank you, God. And when, when she said, Thank you, Lord, the atheist popped out of the bush and said, 
that wasn't God who gave you those groceries. That was me. See? He said, see, there's no God. Well, Grandma just really got to dancing and saying, hallelujah. And she, this is what she said. She said, God, thank you for bringing me groceries and making the devil pay for it. Come on. Come on. Uh, here's, here's, here's what you've got to hear today. I believe that the devil has been operating in people's life for way too long. And that the blood of Christ and that faith in God is actually offering us something. And that the devil has stolen from us. And the thief, when he's found out, according to the scriptures, must restore sevenfold. So I think there's things that have been missing in our life, missing in our, our families, missing in our church, missing in our communities, that the devil devil's been hiding and stealing from us. we got to learn how to operate in faith. we got to learn how to recapture this moment, the centurion, who is not Jewish. He's a Gentile. And this man made Jesus marvel. Which tells me something, that you and I, when we pick our heroes in the Bible, we should look at the ones that look the most like us. And this centurion in the gospel looks a lot like us, the Gentiles, the ones who don't come from Israel, the ones who were away from God's promises and covenants, but who have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. I want to show you some things about this great faith that was in the centurion. And I don't want to preach long to you today because I believe God wants to give you an encounter. But we're going to look at some things from this. And I believe they're going to begin to be litmus tests that you and I can regularly check about whether or not we are walking in great faith by these three things. First thing you need to know about great faith, according to this, is that great faith is fueled by love. Great faith is fueled by love. It says in verse 2, it says, And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. This servant was dear to him. He loved his servant. This word uh, dear uh, there, you can also translate it highly honored. He highly honored this servant. Highly esteemed his servant. He deeply cared. But this servant was sick and ready to die. Now, that statement, ready to die, in the centurion's house probably meant something else than in an unbeliever's house. My guess is, is that this servant knew Yahweh, was very familiar, because 
this centurion's been building synagogues. And he's very familiar with the God of Israel, Yahweh. And he's living for him as much as a Gentile could access it at this time. And my guess is, is that this servant is ready. Ready to die. Ready to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Ready. And yet, love intervened in this moment. You see, love is essential to operating in biblical faith. Look at the same chapter that we're basing this whole uh, series on. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, it says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. He's saying, listen, you understanding the principle of faith apart from love means nothing. It adds nothing to your identity to be able to move mountains if it's not fueled by love. And the centurion, the centurion moved sickness and disease off of his servant by love. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Faith working through love. Basically this verse says this, All of the synagogues that he built meant nothing. Him loving Israel, that didn't really mean that much. The fact that he loved his servant, that meant everything. Let me put it to you another way. You coming to church on Sunday, that's good. You going through making, you know, making some good decisions about maybe reading your Bible a little bit and, and praying a little bit, that's, that's good. But listen, in the kingdom, it's not about your religious activity. It's about your faith that is fueled by love. Is your faith fueled by love? Have you seen any, any fig trees fall over? Have you seen any mountains move? If you haven't seen the mountains move, it's time to check your love level. Because faith working by love is the whole kingdom. He's saying circumcision or uncircumcision, it means nothing in the kingdom. Do you understand what that meant? Circumcision was a sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. It was a sign of their covenant with God. He was saying, listen, that religious activity means nothing if your heart's not circumcised. By love. Love. It's faith working through love. This word working is energeo. It means literally to energize. The relationship of love and faith are like electricity and a light bulb. The light bulb is no good without the electricity. Your faith is no good without love. 
Your faith is no good without love. You need to be operating in love. And I know that there's a hunger in this church to see greater signs and wonders, to see miracles everywhere. Listen, I believe God wants to walk us into that. But did you first receive the love of God in salvation? That's the first precursor. Or And then after you believe, are you accessing the well of love that he put in there by the Holy Spirit according to Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5 says there is this, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That means within each one of you, there is a well of love that is meant to activate your faith. This is totally free. I don't, I don't mean to meddle, but I'm going to. If you're annoyed by the people of Citrus County, you will never be able to minister to them. Not in power. You'll build a wall. But when your faith is fueled by love, walls will come down. Walls will come down. Your faith will become energized. Many of you have been looking for the power source in your faith. It is love. And it's allowing God to let his love flow through you to the people around you. Faith is the vessel and love is the fuel in this great faith that God wants to release. Let me say this from this story. Great faith also operates in humility. Great faith operates in humility. In verse 6 it says, Then Jesus went to him and went, uh, went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion uh, sent friends to him saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Now let me explain some things to you about this. Okay, This is not a, self de- a self-deprecating moment. Okay, this is this is not the centurion um, literally feeling unworthy. This is the centurion operating in humility. And let me explain to you why. He has built synagogues. He worships with Jewish people regularly, at least in the portion of that he would be allowed to visit in, usually called the court of the Gentiles. He knows Jewish law does not allow a Jewish man to come into a Gentile's house. He knows it. And yet, here comes the one everyone is calling rabbi, And he's on the way to the house. I don't know how he figured it out. Somebody must have come running. One of those elders of the Jew must have been a runner. And when Jesus started to come, they took off running. And they said, he's coming. He's coming. A Jew is coming here? He's coming here? Oh, you send friends right now. Send. send. Okay, friends, friends, get together. Here's what you're going to do. Go and tell him. Uh, uh, he doesn't have to do that. We're not, we're not worthy for him to come into here. So, so please, please, run to him and just say, just say the word. 
All you have to do is say the word. You don't, you don't, have, to, you don't have to break any Jewish laws. Can I just say this? This is so humble that this man would submit to a Jewish law that Jesus was willing to break. That Jesus says, I see that boundary, but I'm breaking it. Oh, uh, you know, Jesus did this regularly. People show up to church sick. He just could not stand it. He had to heal on the Sabbath day. He had to release, and that boy that made the, I don't know why people get mad when the power of God shows up in church. But sometimes they do. But he was so humble, he said, listen, I don't want you to do anything that's, that's going to put you in a bad light with those people who are following you. So all you got to do is speak the word. How do I know that for sure? Because in Acts chapter 10, a very similar scene unfolds when a man named Cornelius, who is the, the, this is the genesis of the Gentiles coming into the church, receiving the Spirit, he has a vision and he sends some people to go and get Peter, a Jew. He tell, Peter is having a vision of all of these unclean animals. And God's saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And, and in the King James, Peter's in the vision going, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unclean. He says, don't, don't call what I call clean or pure. Don't you call it impure. Three times that happens. Three times that happens. And then the people show up. Saying, come to a Gentile house. Come to a Gentile house. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 10, verse 20, 25. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself, which is why you should never worship preachers. That's good preaching, preacher. You worship Jesus. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? I'm just going to give you this for free. God is not calling you dirty, impure, or clean. He is simply now jumping over the boundaries that you, 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 you imagine in your mind. He is calling out to you just saying, what is it that you've sent me for? Why is it that you were worshiping me a few moments? Why are you calling on me? What do you need from me? Listen, God is not calling you impure. He's not looking at your list of problems that you brought in the door today. By the way, he sees the problems. He's seen the problems of humanity since the garden. He's not surprised by our sin. The cross overwhelms our sin when received by faith. Now listen to me. He's not ignoring your list. He's just got some things to do in you before he gets to the list. I, how, you say, how can you be sure? Because he looked at the disciples and said, go heal the sick. 
and preach the gospel in that order. Heal the sick and then preach the gospel in that order. All of those sick people had a list. Insufficiencies in their life and walk without God. You know, in their, in their, in their life of, of, of walking with or without God. And what did God do? He healed them first. And then he deals with the list. That's how good God is. And let me tell you, nothing will stop God from coming into your life. There's nothing. There's no barrier. And you want to know what the most attractive thing to him is? It's humility. God is attracted to humility. You and I who are walking as sons and daughters in this world, you, you want to carry God's presence. Carry it in humility. Carry it in the way that you honor other people. Carry it in humility. You say, how can you say for sure that God is attracted to humility? Well, it really, it really comes from James chapter 4. Uh, and um, it, it's, it says this. It says, uh, but God gives us more grace. That's why the scripture said God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I want you, I want you to understand this, this scripture. Uh, you, they're, they're really, they're, there's really both sides of the coin. First side of the coin is pride. And it says God opposes the proud. The word opposes is antitasso. It is a, a military term. All right. Let me explain it to you in a physical way. And for those listening by podcast, I'll explain it. Pride shows up in us. God puts up his hands. If we continue to operate in pride, God, according to the scripture, opposes the proud. Aren't you glad that's only the first half of the verse? I don't want to be on the opposite side of a prideful moment. We lose that fight. Can you imagine you're prideful, but you come into the place of prayer? God opposes the proud. You think, you think pride isn't a big deal to God? It is. That's what the scripture says. He takes up a military formation against the pride. It, the, let, me, let me put it to you another way. The scripture says he knows the proud from afar. You know what the highest form of pride is? I can do life without God. But, according to James chapter 4, he gives favor, that's what I quoted to you, to the humble. I love this word for favor here. It is charis. It is translated grace uh, all, all, all over the place through the Bible. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, that are right there around 1 Corinthians 13, uh, this word charis is, is, is translated gift, or you would say it grace gift, okay? So uh, it's where we get the English word charisma, 
okay? That means that person is very energetic and, 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 and gifted. But the, here's what you miss. Here's what you miss about the word charis in English. Charis in Greek is directional. That means there's a direction connected to the definition. It means this, to lean forward as to bestow a benefit. It's directional. It means when you get humble, God leans in. Ah, you want God to lean into your life? Hit your knees in humility and say, God, I can't do this by myself. You want to amaze the Lord? You say, Lord, you don't have to come. Just say the word. Amen. You, want to amaze, you want to amaze God? Just open his word and say, ah, that's what I believe. I'm not going to be told by my circumstances that that is my inheritance. My inheritance is his word, and I'm going to humbly submit to his word and to what he is speaking. And you know what God does when his people get humble? He gives more grace. He leans in to bestow benefits on us. He leans in. How many of us want God to lean in in a greater way than we absolutely trash pride in our lives? life. We cast it away. We say, apart from God, I am nothing. I know nothing. I can do nothing. But in Christ, I can do all things who gives me strength. God is attracted to humility and great faith. In order for it to operate, it's got to be humble. I think a real pure picture of humility is simply this doing what God says. Believing what God says. Doing what God says. Jesus was the most humble person because he only said what he heard the Father saying and he only did what he saw the Father doing. That's humility. Humility is saying, God, I know you would break down all kinds of walls. But Lord, I'm just going to take you at your word. Just send your word. And I know my situation's going to change. Smith Wigglesworth, great man of God, lived early last century. I think he had about a second or third grade education. He taught himself to read by learning to read the Bible. He was a plumber by trade. He lived an average Christian life, raised 18 people from the dead, including his wife, who was upset because she was with Jesus when he did. <laughs> and according According to what was written about that conversation, when he raised her from the dead, the first thing she said, Smith, I was with Jesus. <laughs> they talked for about 20 minutes, and she went on back to be with the Lord. Eighteen people raised from the dead. Listen to what this man says. 
about humility. None of us is going to be able to minister of this new covenant of promise in the unction and power of the Spirit without humility. It seems to me the way to get up is to get down. It's clear to me that in the measure that the dying of the Lord is in me, the life of the Lord will abound in me. That is a powerful statement. The more I look like a suffering Christ on the cross, dead to sin, dead to self, the more the life of God will flow out of me like a river. The humility of the centurion opened the door to the supernatural ministry of Jesus. I want to finish with this statement about great faith. Great faith recognizes authority. Great faith recognizes authority. Luke 7, 7 says, Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Notice these words. For I also am a man placed under authority. Having soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turned around, and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, Notice these words, for I also am a man placed under authority. You have to read it properly. We're Americans. We did not read it that way. We read it this way. For I also am a man placed in authority. Oh, some of you got, oh, it didn't say that, did it? No, it said under authority. Authority. Jesus was perfectly submitted to the authority of the Father. Therefore, he had permission to operate in power, signs, and wonders. And the centurion recognized that this is how the kingdom works. He said, we're both men under authority. The centurion said, listen... I see how submitted you are to God. And because you're submitted to God, he gives you full access. He grants you full access. When, when Mackenzie was one, uh, we lived in this little uh, uh, duplex behind the Cape Coral Hospital where she was born right before we moved there. And, and I used to write sermons out word for word on 11 <laughs> big legal pads, yellow pads. They were just everywhere. And so I'd write out every single word. My, my staff laughed at me last service because now they know that I need very few words on the page. Okay, now it really helps me to have very few words. Back then, I had every single word written down. And I'll never forget the encounter that I had in that kitchen when the Lord told me, he said, authority is chosen. I'm like, God, you may have to, you, one, one of two things is going to happen here. I'm going to fix your theology or you're going to fix mine. <laughs> he fixed mine. Because I thought, I, I thought authority was just given. But the scriptures in the Lord begin to unfold to me. He says, no, authority is chosen by humble submission to God. And we've asked very practical prayers at times, uh, questions at times, about, 
why does it seem this person really gets prayers answered and this one, man, it seems like they're hitting a wall? Sometimes, not all the time, because God's grace is huge. He loves us. It's huge. But sometimes when a person is getting breakthrough, it means they're humbly submitted to God. They're just humbly submitted to Him. And they've chosen to walk under authority. Great faith requires that we recognize we are under authority. Jesus said it in the Great Commission. Uh, you know, it confirms this, this whole idea that the centurion recognized and, and delineated. Jesus says it, Matthew chapter 28, he says, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Then what does he say next? Go therefore. What is this saying? He's saying there is an action that follows people who are walking under authority. There's an action. Here, the call to action is to go and make disciples of all nations. But what does it really look like for a believer to walk in submission to God's authority, submission to his word, submission to his will? What does it look like? It's found in the other passage that we described the Great Commission with, Mark chapter 16. And it says this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And as they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Notice what this says. It says that signs and wonders follow those who believe. Church, never chase miracles. But never live a life where miracles are not chasing you. You're a believer. These signs chase after you. You can't, they happen almost by accident. We've seen miracles over, over the years of wheelchairs being emptied, multiple wheelchairs and bones popping into place and all kinds of things manifesting. Cancer being healed in the last year right here, stomach cancer dissolving. Uh, we are seeing the power of God, but you and I have to believe that the reason why that we're seeing an increase in the power is because we're increasing in our submission to God. And God says, hey, when you are under authority, you can say, go to that one and it has to go. And when you say come, blessing of God, he comes. I believe God wants to release some things in here today. I believe God wants to heal people today. 
I believe, let me, let, me, let me say it to you this way. I believe you will be healed today. I believe you will be healed today. I believe that according to the scriptures, by his stripes, you are healed. I believe that when we anoint you with oil, the prayer of faith will save the sick. I believe for those of you who don't have a relationship with Christ here today, I believe with all of my heart, if you will repent and believe that Christ died for your sins, your eternity will forever be changed. You will be washed. You will be made brand new in Christ Jesus. The old will pass away and the new will come. We will see the miracle of an eternity being changed here in just a moment. I believe God is going to melt the mountain of iniquity. Iniquity is the inward twisted way, that thing in us that keeps us walking the way that we know we shouldn't walk. I believe God is going to melt the mountains of addiction today. I believe God is going to melt the mountains of compromise today. I believe. Why? Because he sent his word. He sent his word and has declared it. And if we will believe and receive, we will possess. And I believe God wants to give you a taste of what is possible so you can release what is possible in this community. It is not by our works. It's by his grace. It's by his favor. It's by his undeserved favor received in fullness. Allowing the gospel to change your life. It's a looking at the compromise that's in our lives sometimes. And we think we can't get around it. And God comes in presence and said that could change in an instant. We don't allow the compromise to stay because the presence has come. When we start to hear the stories like the centurion did. He heard of Jesus. Because he had heard that Jesus was around. I wonder how that started for the centurion. What did he say first? He said, so tell me about this, Jesus. You know, what did he do first? Well, you want to know what he really did first? Yeah, yeah. Tell me what he did first as he started this amazing ministry. What, what did he do? He went to a wedding. He went, he went to a wedding. What do you mean he went to a wedding? Oh, well, he didn't, didn't just go to a wedding. There was this pot that everybody had just been washing in. There were several of them. And they'd been pouring this water out, and we'd been just washing our hands in this water that was coming out of this normal pot. They ran out of wine, and he told us to fill it up with water, and then he scooped some out. And he turned the water and wine, and he saved the best wine for last. So, so he changes water into wine. Can you imagine this? He changes water into wine. What else is happening? Well, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the demon-possessed are set free. Um, I've got something sick and dying in my house 
Do you think he will come? Do you think he will come? The Caper he, 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 this insurance, I've got something sick and dying in my house. He says to the elders of the Jew, do you think he will come? Some of us today, we've got some stuff sick and dying in our house. And you wonder if he will come. He will come. He will come. He will come to you today. I hope you've enjoyed this message from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and God bless.